Well, Happy New Year and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are back in our series called In the Beginning, and we last left Jacob and his family fleeing from his uncle Laban. We pick back up today in Genesis chapter 32 with Jacob needing reassurance that God is still with him as we see him prepping his brother Esau for their arrival. Now, knowing that sometimes we need reassurance that God is still with us, Pastor Chris shares a few ways that we can find it in God's truth. Here's Chris. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. All right, let's try that again. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes. We're back. It's going to be an amazing year, 2023. The further we get away from 2020, the better we're doing, right? Um, And so this is going to be uh, an unbelievable year for the vineyard. And I believe if you'll come along for the ride this year, it's going to be an unbelievable ride for you. We're going to continue in our series in Genesis. Uh, Myron was wrong. We're not going back to chapter 22. We were there like 10 chapters ago. We're going to be in chapter 32 today. Um, and we're going to continue through the book of Genesis, taking some breaks along the way. We're going to do this for about five weeks, and then we're going to jump into a series that I think is going to be transformational for our church, for you, and for our community in general, and, uh, and I want you to be here. In fact, as we start 2023 and we set our goals and make our resolutions and all of that, one thing that I'm going to encourage you to do every week is to prioritize your involvement in church because your spiritual development is more important than anything else in your life, whether you know it or not, or whether you recognize it at the moment or not. And so be here, keep coming back. God builds layers on our lives week after week after week. He keeps our eyes focused on him and he develops our worldview, which shapes how we do everything. And when we're only sporadically involved, that doesn't happen so well. And so, uh, but I, I really am excited about what's coming and I can't wait to share, share with you more, but we got about five weeks of Genesis and there's some really good stuff coming. So are you ready? Okay. We're going to be in chapter 32 uh, in case, it's been several weeks now, so let me catch you up. Just kind of a little short background on how we got to where we are. There's this guy named Abraham. He lived in the desert. He was Probably a pagan worshiper, we think. He lived in a pagan worshiping area called Ur. God shows up and says, Abram, his name was Abram at the time, which meant daddy or uh, father, which was ironic because he didn't have any kids. And he's, old, he's older, he's 60, 60 to 70 years old. God shows up and says, look, you're going to have a family and it's going to become a great nation, and, uh, but you need to follow me. I'm going to take you someplace. I'm not even telling you where it is, but I need you to just go and follow me. And he steps out in faith and does that. Uh, as he's going, he makes all kinds of mistakes. He, f- he fumbles. He loses faith. He stops halfway. It's, 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 it's a mess, but God continues to show up in Abram's life and be faithful. Eventually, he miraculously, at the age of about 100, has a child, names him Isaac. Isaac was the miracle child. Abram's faith really, uh, really was boosted at that point. Uh, and eventually, when Isaac was older, God shows up and says, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on an altar to me, which would not have been strange to Abram because that was the pagan's way. They sacrificed their children. Now, God had never asked anybody to do that, but, but Abram was like, uh, whatever. But Isaac was the promise. Isaac was through whom all the things that God had promised Abraham were going to come through Isaac. This doesn't make any sense, God. Doesn't matter. Abram trusts God and, and puts Isaac on the altar. And of course, as the story goes, God stops him short 
of taking his son's life. He just wanted to know that Abram trusted him, that he had faith in God, and he passed that faith test. Um, Well, Isaac goes on to have two sons. They're twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the youngest by about 12 minutes. Um, and, uh, And so that turns, this whole, by the way, the whole story, again, this is just for the folks who are catching up. The whole thing turns into the Jerry Springer show. It's, it's, it is drama. It is bad decisions. It is, it's awful. And, and so, and then God keeps showing up in their lives and keeps pursuing them and keeps being faithful and redeeming them. And then, and then they have some successes along the way, but their faith is in God, not in all these other false gods. Well, at any rate, Jacob and Esau grow up. There's this, this prophecy about Jacob, who was the younger in their culture. He was supposed to to serve his older brother. The older brother becomes the kind of the patriarch of the family, gets the double portion of the inheritance, all of that. Well, Jacob, the the prophecy was that the older would serve the younger. And so as they go on, as they go on, um, it's time to hand off that blessing, hand off that, that, uh, that, that double blessing. And, uh, and, and Jacob sneaks in and tricks his father, who is blind and probably somewhat deaf at this point in time, and tricks him into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. Well, Esau gets all upset. He is really mad, and he is threatening to kill his brother. And at that point, Jacob leaves, travels a month's journey to his uncle Laban's over in what is now modern-day Iraq, and, uh, and he spends 20 years there, marries. Um, it, it's more Jerry Springer. Uh, but he does well. And then God shows up again and says, Jacob, it's time to go home. It is time to go back to your father's household. It's time to go home. Well, his uncle Laban and his daughters, uh, Laban's daughters who Jacob had married and and all their kids are, are Laban's grandchildren. He's afraid, and so that Laban won't let him go. So they all sneak off in the middle of the night. And that's where we were last time we were here. They had snuck off in the middle of the night. Laban had caught up with them. God had shown up in a dream to Laban and said, don't harm him. Uh, I'm in this. And so they make a treaty between the two of them. Uh, Laban goes home. Jacob starts down the fearful road to home. And the reason it's fearful is his brother is, was so angry at him and was planning on murdering him. All right? So that's, you all caught up? All right, good. All right. Thank you. That's 10 chapters in a nutshell. Uh, so now Jacob's got his brother to deal with. He's got some anxiety. He is at the front end of a journey back to where potentially, well, first of all, he doesn't know what has transpired with Esau since he's been gone. But what he does know is that his brother has promised to murder him. And now he is heading back home to see how this all works out. You think you might have some anxiety about that? Relational tension? Yeah, absolutely. And so does he. And we're going to pick up in Genesis 32, verse 1. This is what it says. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. So he, he and Laban, Laban goes home, Jacob heads in the other direction, And almost immediately, angels of God meet him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanam. And I don't know if I pronounced that right or not, but you you got it. All right. The word for angel in this particular place is, in Hebrew, means messenger. 
Now, the interesting thing about these angels that show up is there's no message recorded. There's no message recorded. They're a messenger from God. There is no message recorded. And I think the reason that is, is they showed up not to give him instruction from God. God had already told him what he wanted him to do, but to reassure him he was on the right road, even though it was scary. And, and, and so God told him to go home. He's questioning, just like you would or I would, whether this is really a smart thing to do. And then he has this God encounter along the road. And this brings me to point number one. If you got your notes, you can take them out and write in there. It says, point number one is this. In seasons of doubt, in seasons of doubt, the Lord will often sprinkle God moments along the journey to reassure us. Like I said, angels are typically messengers. There's no message. The, the, the point of this interaction is, Jacob, you're on the right road. Keep going. Keep going. You know, when I was... Uh, when I graduated from college. So when I was in college, I feel like God had given me this vision for, for a ministry that I was supposed to start. And, uh, and I've talked about it at length, but I, have, I don't know that I've talked about this particular aspect. Um, it was a wilderness adventure leadership ministry thing that we were going to start here in West Virginia. And, um, but, but at that point, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that well thought through. I had written a, a paper, my senior thesis about uh, what a ministry like that might look like, but I had no plans, or and it was kind of a scary thought. And um, so I graduate from college, and I take some kids to camp in New York, up in the Adirondacks, and I walk into this, this area. Now, I knew the staff there because two of the, the folks that worked there the summer before were friends of mine, and I had gone up. They, we had grown up. They'd grown up in Wheeling. And so I'd gone up and I met the rest of the staff. So I walk into the, the store there at the camp and behind the counter is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Her name's Christy Pike. It's now Christy Figaretti. Um, and so I, I, walk into the, I walk into the store and I'm like, um, and, and she looks up at me and she's like, Chris Figaretti, do you remember me? I had met her once the summer before. I said, remember you? You're the woman of my dreams if I, if I weren't in love with my girlfriend, uh, which I found out later is probably not a really, the free pastoral advice, don't ever say that. That's really, uh, <clears throat> so, but I was, but I was, and there wasn't any romantic interest there or anything. And so, so we go into this conversation and she says, she says uh, or, or I say, what are you going to do now that you graduated? Because we were the same, same, um, same year in school and we had both just graduated and I knew that. And and she said, well, you know what I really want to do? She said, I've been working with this school with these at-risk youth doing uh, like canoe trips and outdoor adventure stuff. And I want to do something like that. And my jaw just dropped. I'm like, really? Um, and then, so I proceeded to tell her about my senior thesis and the, the vision that I felt like God had given me. But this was one of those God moments, right? This is like, oh, this is confirmation. Now, the funny part is, or maybe the, 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 what really kind of put the exclamation point at the end of the sentence is, I walk out the door and my friend Mike, who was from Wheeling, who was there the summer before, but was working in North Carolina that, that summer, walks down the steps. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, they, need a, they needed a baker, so they sent me up here for the week. And I'm like, you're here for the week. He's like, yeah. And I said, okay, well, so you're not gonna believe the conversation I just had with Christy. And so I tell her and she, his, he turns white as a ghost and he's like, 
I'm studying sociology, and we've been studying the use of these kind of outdoor adventure leadership principles in shaping, shaping lives and changing the lives of kids. And he goes, that's what I want to do. God has put it on my heart. I'm like, okay, this is too weird. This doesn't, you know, I mean, what are the chances all in a five-minute period of time? And it was one of those God moments. See, when we have doubts, God will show up and just, and it might be a scripture that you read that you're like, oh my gosh, it hits you like a ton of bricks. And it's the Holy Spirit just going, that's for you. You're on the right track. It might be a conversation with somebody. It might be a circumstance that you, you walk through and you just see God in the midst of it. And he, those God moments in seasons of doubt, the Lord will often sprinkle these God moments to reassure us that we're on the right track. And I think that's what these angels are all about for Jacob. Well, Jacob, being Jacob, Jacob's name means schemer. He was a heel grabber. He was holding on to his brother's heel when his brother was born. And, uh, and, and, and this kind of Jacob's character, he's, he's a bit of a, a schemer. His mind's always working. He's always trying to figure out how he's going to make things work out to his advantage. And, so, and now he's, he's got this fear thing going on. And so he comes up with a plan. In verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to, and you can underline this part, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob says. Now what Jacob is doing here is clearly positioning himself as his brother's servant. He's subserviating, if that's even a word, himself to his brother he, was, he left with the birthright. He left with, all, by all rights, uh, access to the double blessing, the double portion of the inheritance, the, the leadership of the family, all of that. He is not asserting that. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He's saying, never mind about that. He said, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants, servants, now I am sending this message to my Lord. He calls his brother his Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. What's he doing? He is preparing his brother for his arrival. Because if he just shows up, you ever startle somebody? <laughs> and you startle them and they're like, ah, boom, you know, just kind of, okay, we're going to give him time to process the fact that he's coming back. This is very smart on Jacob's point or part. He gives him time to process. He's submitting to his brother. He's basically saying, you know, that whole birthright thing, never mind about that. Now, the important part about the birthright was not the stuff, as we will see. It wasn't even necessarily the leadership of the family. It was the birth line of the Messiah. And that's what Jacob truly gets passed down to and through his line. And his brother Esau didn't care a bit about that. He would have been, we know he was a very kind of materialistic guy. He would have been more concerned about the stuff. So he's setting his brother at ease. And he's saying, oh, and by the way, I have my own wealth. I've got all these sheep and donkeys and camels and servants and all this stuff. I have all I, have all I need. I don't need, I don't need the inheritance. Never mind about that. So he's giving his brother time to process and he's reassuring his brother he's not coming back to claim what his brother wanted. In verse six, it says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Well, at this point, Jacob's thinking, I'm screwed. Can you say that in church? You're allowed to say that, Wayne? All right, good. Um, 
He's like, 400 men in this context, it's a bunch of little, little mini kingdoms, right? 400 men's an army. His brother is coming out to kill him and everybody with him. At least this is what he's thinking. You, know, you ever notice that you see through the, through the lens of whatever your predisposition is? You know, so so he's, he's coming in afraid. He's immediately thinking his brother's coming out to slay him and, and destroy him. 400 men, it's an army. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, well, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. This is plan B. Plan A was let's let him know, give him time to process kind of kind of set him at ease about the um, about the inheritance thing plan B now that there's an army coming is well let's divide up into two groups that way if he kills and completely wipes out one group at least the other group can run back to Laban's we'll be all right we'll survive so somebody will survive plan B when verse 9 it says then Jacob prayed oh God this is plan C by the way now, just a little pastoral advice. The prayer part would be a good plan A in your fearful journey, okay? <laughs> when, whenever we find ourselves on a fearful road, the place to start is, oh God, not with your schemes and plans. And, and there's nothing wrong with what Jacob is doing here. There's nothing wrong with the, plan, you know, the different plans that he puts in place, but it's pretty good to have prayers plan A, not plan C, just saying. All right, then Jacob prayed. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. All right, so this first part of the prayer, there's four parts to to Jacob's prayer here. These are really good, actually. The first part is this. God, this was your idea. God, you told me to do this. You sent me down this fearful road. This was your idea, God. Now, what is Jacob doing here? Do you think God needs to be reminded that this was his idea? No, Jacob is reminding himself that this was God's idea. Guys, sometimes we have to do that because I know we would we, love to think that, that you know, you, you come to faith in Christ and, and you do what he tells you to do and everything is sunshine and roses. Is that true? No. No, we will face, it, 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 and God develops things in us in those times of, of, of fear, those times of questioning and, and the journey along the way, the struggles that we go through. He develops things in you that you could never be developed any other way. He lets us or leads us down fearful roads sometimes for our own blessing and good, all right? But in the midst of those, those emotions are very real. And one of the best ways one of the best ways to, to navigate that is to remind yourself, oh God, this was your idea. Oh God, I'm just obeying you. And now I'm dealing with this consequence. God, this is, this is on you. I'm trusting you for the consequence. Well, in verse 10, he, says, he goes on. He says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. When I left here, I had nothing. When I left here 20 years ago, all I had was a stick in my hand, a walking stick for my journey. And I'm coming back and look at all the blessing and plenty and stuff and people and family that I have. You have been so good 
to me. See, he starts out with, God, this was your idea, and then he goes into gratitude. And gratitude is so important. Guys, when you find yourself in a, in a, on a fearful road, when you find yourself in the middle of a situation you don't completely understand and you're sideways inside, one of the best things you can do is sit down and intentionally remember and thank God for all the things he has done for you. Amen. Gratitude is powerful. What does it do? It, all of these things build our faith, and that's exactly what it's doing for, for Jacob here. In verse 11, he says, he gets to the, the old crap part of the prayer. He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. God, I'm afraid. God, help. God, do something. He eventually gets to that point, but only after kind of undergirding his faith for a couple sentences, right? Reminding himself that it was God's idea, reminding himself all that God has done and how faithful God has been. Then he says, oh God, help. And then in verse 12, he circles back around. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So God, you promised. You promised that that, that, that my legacy, because that's really what's on the line, if, they, if Esau wipes out his entire family, his legacy's over, he will not have, he will not have an offspring or a great nation that comes from him. But he, he reminds himself again, God, no, God promised that there's life on the other side of this. He is reassuring himself. Guys, reminding God of his promises is a valuable strategy in prayer. It really is. But you gotta be careful with this. It's not because you can, you can um, strong arm, manipulate, or make God do anything. Sometimes people will go, God, you promised, you have to. I'm gonna hold you to this promise. Like, do not come to God that way. We come with humility. Those reminders of his promises are for us, not for him. He hasn't forgotten the promises. We can't manipulate God into doing anything for us. We can only remind ourselves and build our own faith in the process. God's gonna do what God's gonna do, and God will be faithful to his promise, whether we remind him or not. So important. So that brings me to point number two. You can strengthen your faith by remembering what God has said and what he has done. Let me say that again. You can strengthen your faith by remembering what God has said and what God has done. One way we do this is what people, uh, what church people call standing on the promises. We stand on the promises of God. The Bible is full of promises that God has made to us. And remembering those, memorizing those, can be a huge in, in bolstering your faith in the moment. Some of my favorites that have gotten me through some really hard times in my life. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. David writes this, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, in other words, though we may be really afraid on our way back to, to Esau, though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. When, I, when my delight, when my focus, when my life, when my hope is in God, he will hold me up 
And it doesn't mean that I won't go through fearful times. It means that I don't have to be afraid going through fearful times because he promises to carry me and let me not, I might stumble, but I'm not gonna fall. And holding on to that in the midst of a fearful time is powerful. Isaiah 40, 31, I had Lyme disease years ago. And one of the, um, one of the um, symptoms or kind of the ailments with Lyme disease is just crushing fatigue. Uh, for me, it was a lot of headaches and pains in my body. And, and I just remember, going, God, am I ever going to feel normal again? Am I ever going to have energy again? Am I ever... And, and Isaiah... 4031 became so real to me and I kept coming back to this and it was like, oh, this isn't the, just some kind of metaphorical promise. This is real. And the Spirit spoke to me as I reflected on this verse. But those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will walk and not be faint. It got me through that season, really did. It reminded me that God, no God, even though I'm not feeling it today, and maybe there's a month of days that I'm not feeling it, I know that at the end of this, this is what God has promised me. I am going to wait on him. I am going to delight in him. And then uh, another one, this is free. You guys memorized these this week. They were very helpful to you. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Not everything that happens in this life is good. Anybody who tells you that it can be is lying to you. But God will bring good out of everything, the good and the bad for his children, for the people who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult or fearful or scary or painful or whatever it is, God will bring good out of that. He will, he will bring blessing out of that. You can count on it. Guys, these promises, as we recount them, as we memorize them, as we meditate on them, build our faith, right? They help us navigate the fearful road with faith instead of fear. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Also, remembering what he has done. Journals are great for this. I don't know about you, but God has done, God does stuff in my life on a regular basis, and I don't write it down because I'm lousy at journaling because I'm a guy. I'm just be honest. And girls have these pretty journals, and they love to write things down, and it's all, you know, it's like, that's great. My, one, of my, one of my plans for 20, I'm not going to call it a resolution because they don't work, but one of my plans for 2023 is to start writing stuff down. In fact, I, uh, I, I bought this, this cool cover for, I've got, I've got journals everywhere. I bought 32 journals, <laughs> these little paper journals, because I know that as I go back and look over what God has done, the prayers that he has answered, the ways that he's shown up in little ways. He shows up in our lives in little ways all the time and we forget about them and we move on. But if we capture them, we remember it builds our faith for the next time we need God to show up in our lives. And faith is everything. Reading scripture regularly, reading the stories of, of Jacob, reading the stories as we go through Genesis of God's faithfulness in the face of face of their unfaithfulness in, in the way God shows up, what he can do, who he is, his character, it all builds our faith. And when we 
again, as I said at the beginning, layer that into our lives on a daily basis as we read Scripture, as we participate in church on a weekly basis. It, it reminds us, it strengthens us. That's why our faith is strong. And that's why when we stop doing those things, our faith gets weaker and weaker because we forget. These brains don't trap everything. But if we remember, we're less likely to panic. And then, of course, gratitude. I encourage everyone to spend some time each day, not just at Thanksgiving, giving thanks. Maybe even part of your journal is, God, thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this, because that is a log of what God has done in your life. And again, it doesn't enable us to hold God's feet to the fire and extract some kind of answer to prayer out of God. It reminds us that he is faithful and it builds our faith, and faith is powerful. All right, Jacob moves on to plan D. Jacob has plans, right? He's, not, he's a schemer. That's what his name means. He's scheming. So, so, all right, so we've, you know, we've given him the forewarning. We've given him the forewarning. We've prayed, you know. Um, I've got a practical plan of survival. We've broken into two groups. Now the gifts. He's like, well, we're going we're gonna to try gifts. So in verse 13, he spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. He's like, well, maybe a present will soften him up a little bit. But this isn't just a present. This is a whole series of presents. And this is a fortune. Like in their economy, and, and they're agrarian, and so animals were kind of wealth and, and all of that. He basically cuts out of his herds and flocks a fortune to give to his brother. It says 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female cam camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the, the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. Now, Jacob is onto something here. Jacob is onto something here. Generosity softens hearts. It's a universal theme. <laughs> Generosity softens hearts. You want to win the heart of somebody. It's not a guarantee because if their heart's super cold and closed, it's not necessarily going to open up. But if you want a shot at blowing someone's heart wide open, be outrageously, extravagantly generous to them. Give a gift. Give a gift. And this isn't just a gift, it's a series of gift and, uh, gifts. In 19, he says he, he also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So hopefully. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in camp. Generosity does something inside the human heart. 
It does something inside the human heart of the person who is giving. It does something inside the heart of the human being who is receiving. And it does something actually scientifically proven in the human heart of people who observe. It's why we love to watch those, you know, extreme home makeover shows. It's like you're crying at the end like I'm there. It does something inside of us. It, it, and, and, you know, in, in the 1990s, scientists discovered a type of neuron in our brain called mirror neurons. And, and, and what they discovered is it, it, Jacob wouldn't have been aware of mirror neurons, but he was aware of this powerful principle that when we watch somebody else do something, we are inclined to mimic what they do. And so he's showing generosity to his brother in hopes that his brother will show generosity to him and forgive him and receive him. Well, sometime in the night, Jacob, there on one side of the river, he sends, he sends his, his whole family and all his stuff across the river. Um, it says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. So Jacob sends, these, sends his whole family, all his stuff. It all goes across the river. They're going to have to cross the river anyway the next day, and he stays back. Now, I do not think Jacob is using his family as a human shield. That's not what's going on here. I think what is going on with Jacob is that he needs some time. Have you ever been so wound up inside that you're like, I just need space? I just, I, I, I need to get alone for a minute because I don't even know, like I'm so anxious, I'm so wound up inside, I just need to be alone for a minute. And I really think that's what he's dealing with here. And then, <clears throat> and then God shows up says, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, the word there for man in the Hebrew is an individual. Jacob believes this individual is God. I'm inclined to believe as well. It's a bit mysterious because he's wrestling with him. Wrestling with God? Especially given the fact that Jacob's 97 years old. I don't think he's any match for God at 97 years old. By the way, if you're 15 years old, you're no match for God. Or an angel. And he's not a match for any other human being. He's physically no match for anybody. He's 97 years old. I think what's going on is he's wrestling spiritually. He's wrestling in prayer. He's leaning into a conversation with God. And it is taking every ounce of spiritual and emotional energy he has. Ever been there? I have. Brings me to point number four. Wrestling matches with God are life-changing. You know, again, we want everything. You know, as, as Americans, where we can click on an app and solve any problem in our life, we want everything to be solved right away. 30 seconds, make it, make it be over. Make it be, you know, fix the problem, fix the problem, fix the problem. Sometimes God calls us into a wrestling match with him. An extended conversation where we lay our hearts bare where we express our fears, where we cry out to him, where we, and, and, and that, might, that might resolve in a night and it might resolve in a month. We want it to resolve like that. But God calls us to wrestle with him. It usually comes when we're under distress. 
usually comes when, when we're, we're fearful about something that's coming or there's a step of obedience we're being called to take and it's like, well, that scares my pants off. Put your pants back on. Or maybe there's a question that just vexes us. I always like using the word vexed in sermon. Where we find ourselves pleading and what I have found in my life anyway is that when I wrestle with God like that, sometimes it's, sometimes it's sloppy. Sometimes there's tears. Sometimes it's, I'm so afraid. Sometimes it goes on longer than I want it to. But on the other side of those wrestling matches, there's peace in here. A month or so ago, I was, I was dealing with a situation that... Uh, that had me sideways. And uh, it, was, it was a very difficult situation. I didn't, couldn't see the way through it. Um, and uh, I, one particular night, I, I was like, I was very upset about it, but I was so tired that I couldn't stay awake. You ever been there? And so I fell asleep and about midnight I woke up and I was wide awake because it was spinning through my mind. Again, ever been there? And I sat up for about four or five hours that night from midnight on praying, wrestling, crying out and asking God, God, would you, would you make clear what this, the way forward with this? And, and not knowing, not just, just being incredibly upset. It was a wrestling match with God. And you know, by morning, and I, I can't promise you that it always happens by morning, but the middle of the night wrestling session with God, by morning, I could see a way through that I couldn't see the night before. I had a peace, like, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. You got this. God invites us to wrestle with him. He does something in us in the midst of those times. Don't despise those times. In fact, lean in. I remember, uh, this was many years ago, there was a situation in my life that I was dealing with. I'm gonna talk in vagaries because I I'm sorry, I, I can't tell you the specifics, but because you probably know somebody. Um, and they really made me mad. So um, I was dealing with a very, very difficult situation. It had gone on for a year and a half. One of the most difficult periods in my life. I've had a couple periods that I can point back to and go, oh my gosh, I don't know how I survived that. This was one of them. And there was no resolution in sight. There was no, I'm like, I don't have any hope that, God, this is, this is going to, to, to resolve or be taken care of. And I remember I came down that morning and Christy and I were talking and we just started praying. It was almost a spontaneous thing. And it was different that day. I mean, we had prayed about it for a year and a half, but it was like we leaned in to God and, and when we were done, it was like an hour went by and we didn't even know it. We opened our eyes and we looked at each other and said, something happened. Like that was a wrestling match with God. And it was, the amazing thing is, is later that day, that situation that had gone on for a year and a half resolved itself. Sometimes we have to wrestle it through with God. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And don't rush it. Well, in verse 25, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I don't have time to unpack that. I'm sorry. There's just so much here. Um, but I, I do believe that God touches our lives, and sometimes, sometimes we'll even, I'm going to try and unpack it, and I told you I wouldn't. Um, Sometimes in the midst of, the, of those, those spiritual wrestling matches, there's physical manifestations. And that's all I'm going to say. I don't have time to unpack it. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And I love this. Guys. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go. I keep going to Bohemian Rhapsody there. Let me go. I will not let you go. Let me go. Um, <clears throat> Jacob and God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's like, no, God, this wrestling match isn't over yet. We're not done. We're not done. Lean in. Hold on to him. Pursue him with everything you have. Wrestle with God. Don't give in, but lean in when those times come. Jacob is tenacious here, and I love that. Well, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, I think this is more of a confession than anything else. Jacob's name means what? Schemer. That's his, biblically speaking, your name is kind of your character. It's kind of your, who you are. And, and, and uh, so my name is Schemer. And at the, this point, it's a confession. And the man said, your name will no longer be Schemer. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Guys, Abraham was given the promise. Isaac was given the promise. Jacob was given the promise. It was passed down father to father to, fa to father to son. He was given the promise. And now he changes his name from schemer to struggles with God. I love that. This is, by the way, just a little bit of history. The, the, the nation of Israel gets its name from this moment. The, the name for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, is struggles with God. It's not surrenders to God, submits to God. It, it's struggles with God. Isn't that ironic? And that's what God does with Jacob, and Jacob does with God. He gets a new name. He wasn't going to let go. I think God honors that tenaciousness. The name change signifies a character change, an identity change, and I think it also very much puts God's stamp of approval on, wrestle with me, wrestle with me. I know we all want everything black and white and settled right now and everything in its neat little box, but wrestle with me and don't quit. Lean in. Guys, if you follow God for any length of time, there will be topics you will wrestle with, with God. There will be decisions that you have to make that you will wrestle with, lean into God and overcome. Be, as I said, acts of obedience that are going to scare you. Wrestle with God and circumstances as well. God invites us to a relationship with him. That's what's different about Christianity. The God of the universe invites us into a ongoing conversational relationship with him. 
He longs for us to lean in. I love the story back in Genesis 18 where God and Abraham were negotiating over Sodom. Remember that? And, 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 and I think God delighted in that negotiation. He's like, well, but for 50 people, Abraham says to God, would you save the city for, well, for 50 people? How about 45? Do I hear 40? 35? 30? And they go back and forth and back and forth. It's like, why didn't he just, why didn't the writer just say, and then they negotiated their way down to, to 10? No, he goes back and forth and back, and he, he records all of it because he's wrestling with God. He's got this ongoing conversation with God. We're invited into the same, guys. Well, Jacob says to him, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? You know who I am. Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The end. Let's pray. That's weird, isn't it? What is that? What is that? You know, God gave the Jewish people a bunch of little things like that to remember their story by. Like they, they celebrate a festival called Tabernacles or Tents. And at seven days, they would get together every year to remember the 40 years their people spent wandering in the desert, living in tents. Or, or the Feast of Passover, and they, they'll, they'll, they will act out in the course of, of the Passover dinner, the Seder dinner, the, you know, the, the plagues, and they'll, they'll drink salt water and eat bitter herbs to remember their tears and the bitterness of slavery, and they remember it year after year after year. They pass it on to their kids, not just in telling the story, but in living it out. And you know what? 3,500 years later, the nation of Israel still exists. The Jewish people maintained their identity through a holocaust, probably many holocausts, and, and um, they are still a people. There aren't really any other people groups that have been able to claim that, other than maybe Christians. And we're not a nationality. We're a family, dysfunctional family, but we're a family. But 2,000 years later, we're all still here, right? And we have communion and baptism that help tell the story of who Jesus is and what he did. And we gather regularly and tell the stories and teach and, and pass on and remember regularly. Again, back to what I said at the beginning is why being actively plugged in to church on a regular basis is so important. It's why reading the scriptures regularly is so important because guys, we forget over time and having these things that we live out and act out is so important. You know, we have, and it's so important that we pass it on to our kids. As, as, as we look at, at the trends of faith in our world today, the next generation is falling off a spiritual cliff. And there are a lot of things that attribute to that. But if you're not prioritizing the faith of your children, you're going to lose your kids. 
Like, and, and, and the number one competitor is sports. And I, I'm not against sports. I like sports. And I know a lot of you, because I've had conversations with you, you're as frustrated as I am that the coach continually schedules the sporting event on Sunday morning and you have to pick between church and the, and the sporting game. And guys, there's all kinds of great lessons in sports. It's fantastic. But here's the deal. Your kid, I looked, I looked this up, and it was on the internet, so I know it's true. <laughs> Your kid has a 0.00075% chance of going pro. But they have a 100% chance of spending eternity either in heaven or hell. What are we investing? What are we prioritizing? What are we passing on? What are the unintended lessons that we're passing on by missing our priorities in this, this realm? We have to pass it on, which brings me to the last point and really the last thing I have to say in this message. Generational faith requires that we teach it to ourselves and to the next generation. We have to. We have to be faithful in that. I love this chapter. I love this book because it screams that there is mercy and grace for imperfect people. That's us. And that the God of the universe doesn't just want us to fall in line and do what we're told. He wants us to engage in a relationship with him, to struggle in our hearts and in our spirit with him and to overcome and come out on the other side changed. And to be able to tell his story to others all around us and what he's done in our lives, not because everything's been perfect, but because he's been faithful. You know, I, I just sense there are some of us coming back to church after being gone for a while, or maybe you've never been in church, it's the beginning of the year, and you're like, I gotta get my spiritual act together. Welcome back, I'm glad you're here, keep coming. But I want you to know, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you, it isn't about a bunch of religious stuff. It's about that relationship with God, and he wants that with you. And engaging in that is as simple as coming to him and admitting that you're a mess, that you've ignored him, and that you need forgiveness. And he'll forgive you. And then his spirit will come and live in your heart. And you can wrestle with God on a day-in, day-out basis. Sometimes it's not terribly intense, and sometimes it's really intense, but he's there. And he will lead your life if you allow him. And you can have this ongoing conversation with your heavenly Father who made you and loves you. And if you've never told him that you want that before, I want you to do that right now. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, And if you've never said that before, just say something like, Jesus, I've made a mess. I'm a sinner. And I need grace. Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. I, I just sense that that's the only place where wholeness will come to my life. Would you come fill that empty? Would you lead my life? I give it to you today.
You know, there's another group of people who you're on a fearful road. Maybe you're facing a diagnosis or a marriage is falling apart or you're facing something at work and you don't know how you're going to make it. Maybe there's a financial issue. I don't know what your fearful road is, but God is inviting you to lean into him, to trust him, to apply what you've learned today. And if that's you, I want to invite you to invite him into the midst of what you're dealing with. And just, again, pray something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm afraid. And I don't know how to, I'm not as good of a schemer as Jacob is, but, and I don't know how to get from here to there, but you do. And I'm going to lean into you. And I pray that you would lean into me. Bring some peace. Bring some clarity. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing one more song, just to reflect and worship and let God speak to our hearts. And I want you to, I want to ask you this, as you're singing, as you're praising God, ask, I'm going to ask the Spirit to speak to you. And what is the one thing that you need to do in light of what you've heard today? What is God giving you to do this week in light of what you heard today? I want you to walk away from this service with that and clearly in your mind and in your heart. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? God, this life, this world is pretty brutal and you're pretty great and you're very faithful. So Lord, speak to us. Spirit, speak to us as we worship you now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.